Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Steve Fowler. We are starting a new series. Uh, The series is called Stuck. Uh, and we're at the beginning of a new year. It's 2018, and um, typically what happens is when, when you know when you end a year and you uh, begin a new year, it's an opportunity to hit the reset button or the restart button. Maybe last year was great in some areas and maybe not so great in some other areas. A lot of people at the new year, they, they want to make some changes. There's some, uh, some realignment in their life that they're hoping to make. Um, and those come out, as Natalie mentioned, that sometimes it comes out in uh, new commitments and sometimes they come out in resolutions, that people make these resolutions. And I was thinking about that and I was wondering, you know, let's just go back some time. Uh, what were the resolutions that people were making, uh, say, go back 20 years, right before the year 2000, Y2K? Remember, remember Y2K? Uh, or maybe you don't remember Y2K. Uh, but what were the resolutions that people were making back then? So I went to the internet because that's the source of all factual information. And I got these, uh, here's the top five uh, New Year's resolutions from 20 years ago. Here they are. Number one, lose weight. Number two, get fit. Number three, stop smoking. Number four, get out of debt. And number five, stop drinking alcohol. 15 years ago, I got a little more research. 15 years ago, here were the top five. Number one, get out of debt and save money. Number two, lose weight. Number three, uh, get fit. Number four is stop smoking and drinking. And number five is get organized, okay? 10 years ago, here's the top five New Year's resolutions. Number one, lose weight and get fit. Number two, quit smoking. Number three, eat healthier and diet. Number four, get out of debt and save money. And number five, learn something new, which is interesting because we haven't learned something new in 15 years. But let's just keep moving here. Uh, December 30th, CNN published this article capturing the, the top 10 New Year's resolutions for 2018. Here's the top five of the top 10. These are going to be super surprising for you. Number one, exercise more. Number two, eat more healthy foods. Number three, quit smoking. Number four, get out of debt. And number five, you probably already guessed, quit drinking. Now, We've been making the same resolutions now for 20 years. And you know, if, you're in the, the, if your expertise is in the area of, of behavioral sciences, maybe you're a counselor or a psychologist, I, I, I don't know what diagnosis that you would put on a people who 20 years ago say, man, I'm, this is the year I'm gonna exercise. And then 19 years ago, this is the year I'm gonna get fit and, and exercise. And 18 years ago, this is the year I'm gonna get fit and exercise. And that same commitment gets made for 20 years. I, I don't know the technical term that you would use to describe or diagnose someone who is going through that situation. I, I would just say this, we're stuck because we're, we're, we're making the same commitments, the same resolutions year after year. It's not just those five. It's all kinds of areas in our life where we're, we're doing this. And this is not simply a modern problem. This is a human problem. Now, this is why I appreciate Scripture so much. The authors of Scripture, the writers of Scripture, are just so candid and honest about their own personal experiences. I and mean, they just put out the good and the bad. 
It's out there. So I, that's one of the things I love about Scripture is there's no, there's no attempt to sort of shine things up and make, make us look better. And the Apostle Paul, in, in writing of Romans, a letter to a church in Rome, a fascinating chapter, chapter 7, where he just lets us on the inside of his inner workings to see what was going on inside of him. Which This is really fascinating because this is a guy that, that people read and they just esteem his writings. But listen to how he describes what's going on inside of him in relation to this new series that we're starting called Stuck. Romans 7, verses 15 and, and, and following. I just selected, out of the last 10 verses, they're selected, you know, six or seven of them. Here's what Paul writes. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Now, I know you can't relate to that, um, but that's Apostle Paul's life. No, we all can relate to that, right? Because we can all think of areas in our life where like, man, why do I keep doing this? I don't want to do this. Why can't I do that? And what Paul's saying, man, the things I want to do, I don't. And the things I don't want to do, I do. And, and he gets to this point where he says, man, I'm just, what a miserable person I am. Who will free us? And that's what this series is all about. Who will free us? Because we're stuck. We're stuck in places and, and, um, and we, we are, we're, we're locked in. We're stuck in this maze of our stuckness. And, uh, and, we're, and in this series, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at the 12 steps of recovery. We're, we're going to be just, just this is a four-week series. So we're just dipping our toes in the water. Um, and, and I'm going to just say to you, this is a great weekend to uh, join our 12-step groups. We have folks in the lobby, green shirts. You can ask them about it um, because we're, we're just, we're, again, we're just doing an overview of them. We're, you're not working through the steps here. We're just dipping our toes and we're kind of pulling the curtain back a little bit and understanding what they're all about. But you, you could get involved. And I would say to all of us, at some point in our discipleship journey, we need to lean into Life Path and join a 12-step group because th this, is very, this is discipleship. In fact, I was talking to a gal last night who, uh, in, in the lobby, she was telling me that she, when, the first time she went to a 12-step group, she, uh, she wasn't even a Christian, but she found Jesus in her 12-step group and began a new journey with Christ. So we, I want to encourage you to lean in the life path. This would be a great weekend to start doing that. And what we're going to do is simply just kind of look at them and kind of overview and, and hopefully that'll whet your appetite. But I think what, one of the things you need to understand is sort of the, the history behind the 12 steps so that you know, number one, um, the, where they come from. They're, they're biblically rooted. Uh, actually, they're rooted in a spiritual encounter someone has. And, um, and it'd be really helpful for you to understand all that. This, this, the story behind the, the 12 steps goes actually back to this guy named William Wilson, who's better known in the recovery community as Bill W. Bill W., um, he's a drunk. 
and he's struggling with alcoholism. In fact, he's in the hospital, and he's, he's trying to get sober, and he has this, uh, in, in, he's got a strong desire to be set free, and he has a spiritual encounter in which actually he describes these flashes of white light, and he experiences a level of healing and freedom from alcoholism. He gets out of the hospital, but he still has the tug uh, back, this compulsion to, to go back to alcohol. And he's in Ohio, I think he's in Akron, Ohio, and he's applying for a job, and uh, he does not get the job, goes back to his hotel, and there's this bar in the hotel, and everything in him wants to go to the bar and have a drink. But what he decides to do, instead of going to the bar and have a drink, he just, he, what he does is he picks up the phone, he calls the local hospital and asks the person who picks up the phone if there's anyone in that hospital who is also struggling with sobriety. And, um, and someone who's, who's, who's an alcoholic and the, the people at the hospital tell Bill W., yeah, there's this guy here, his name is Dr. Bob. Uh, by the way, you can't do this today? You can't call the hospital and say, hey, can you give me a, I'm gonna to talk to somebody who's got this problem. This is, this is 1934, this is before HIPAA laws and all that. But Bill W. finds out that Dr. Bob is in the hospital and he's a drunk and he's, he's trying to get sober. And so Bill W. goes to have a conversation with Dr. Bob and Dr. Bob is a little bit irritated and tells Bill W., you know, ask him, stop, you know, stop trying to save me. And Bill W. responds by saying, I'm not trying to save you, I'm trying to save myself by telling my story. Uh, because he's found that in staying sober and, and, and getting, getting free, increasing levels of freedom from his own stuckness, that telling his own stories of, of addiction um, are actually a, a part of the pathway to freedom. Bill W. and Dr. Bob, <coughs> excuse me, Bill W. and Dr. Bob um, then start kind of helping each other and telling each other their stories. And then they get, they get connected to what's called an Oxford group. There was a dissatisfaction with the, in, the institutional church in the 1930s, post-World War I. And these sort of these grassroots networks of see spiritual groups arose, the Oxford groups. Um, some believe that it was started by a guy named Frank Buckman. He was a Lutheran pastor. But if you ask someone who was in an Oxford group, they would tell you that the, the person who's leading these groups is the Holy Spirit. He's the one leading. So Bill W., Dr. Bob, get connected to an Oxford group, and here's the six tenets, uh, kind of the statement of faith for the Oxford groups. The first one is human beings are sinners. Human beings can be changed. Confession is a prerequisite to change. The changed soul has direct access to God. The age of miracles has returned. And those changed are to change others. So they're significantly influenced by these Oxford groups. They meet a guy named Sam Shoemaker, and Shoemaker is stunned by the levels of, of freedom these guys are experiencing, recovery that they're experiencing. And so Shoemaker tells Bill W. and Dr. Bob, here's what you guys need to do. You need to write down with great clarity all the steps that you have taken to be free from alcoholism. And, and write those all down. So they wrote them all down, and they wrote down 12 steps of recovery. And those are the same 12 steps that are being used today in groups all around the world. AA groups, NA groups, GA groups, and anyone um, who, is, who is addressing this area of their life where they are stuck. Um, and, and as they wrote those 12 steps down, they actually fall into about four different categories. So we'll put them up on the screen here. Steps one to three, which we're going to take a look at here in a second, are all about peace with God. 
Steps four through seven are all about peace with ourselves. And then uh, steps eight to 10 are about peace with others. And the last two steps are about keeping the peace. Because here's, here's what the 12 steps are not. They're not check box number one, check box number two, get to, to, get to box number 12, yay, I'm done. This is, all, this, this is all taken care of. No, 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 no. This is a lifestyle. It's, a, a, it's a working, you're constantly working. Steps because the moment you, you start declaring your, your area that you're stuck, you pull back layers. And you start discovering other places that this is popping up and other areas that you are stuck. So you'll find this becomes a lifelong pattern of, of confession and repentance and increasing levels of freedom. So, uh, so Bill W., Dr. Bob, really rooted, rooted in this whole idea of a spiritual encounter and, uh, and, and freedom, um, they, they've written these, these 12 steps. Now, here's the thing. Every one of us has a place where we're stuck. Or maybe it's a place we were really stuck, but we have, now we have increasing levels of freedom. We're not as stuck. I was, I've been talking to people seven years, uh, that, you know, clean and sober, 22 years, uh, still working the steps and still uh, seeking freedom and understand their own weaknesses. Um, and so it's really important that we understand that this isn't just about alcohol. This is about the many areas of life that we are stuck. In fact, I've been doing, I've just been thinking about the areas in my life that I've been stuck. Um, places I, I've, been, I've been stuck, you know, 20 years ago and places I was stuck last week. Um, and, and they often resurface. And one of the areas that I get stuck, I mean, one simple one, food. <laughs> I, I, I mean, weight and food, I, I mean, I, I love food. And, and so that's, that's an area that I, I really got to pay attention to. Um, and, uh, but another area is, has to do with my impulsiveness. I have a tendency to be impulsive. Um, and what, what ends up happening is that impulsiveness is often connected to spending. And, and then if I'm impulsive and, and I'm, I'm overspending, what typically happens is I'm trying to cover up my overspending. So let me just tell you a story about that. I'll, I'll name my junk. I'll give you your opportunity in a second. But I, my, here's what it looks like. I'm early on, I'm married to Trina. I think we're married about four years um, we're living in San Francisco. I'm working for United Parcel Service, and I'm at work. And some of you have heard this story. I, I think I told it years ago. But a buddy of mine named Aaron, uh, the drivers all go out to work, and I'm a center manager, and we're, we're kind of get a cup of coffee, and we're, we're getting ready to work. And Aaron said, hey, I want to show you this new car I got. He goes out and drives in this brand-new uh, Honda Accord. It's beautiful, it's black, it's got a leather interior, and if I close my eyes, I can still smell the leather. I mean, it was a gorgeous car, and as I'm sitting in Aaron's car and holding that steering wheel, it's like something in me said, you've gotta have one of these. And so I, I this is about 10 o'clock in the morning, and, um, and so I started thinking, and um, I rearranged my day a little bit, and about, about one o'clock in the afternoon, I get in my car, which by the way, works just great. I get in my car, and I drive to a Honda dealership. And I talk to, I talk to a, a guy selling a car, and I find a car that looks fantastic, and I sit in it, and, um, and I don't have money to put down, but they have this new thing called leasing. And so uh, before I know it, I'm, literally in four hours after Aaron has driven his car into the workplace, I am signing papers leasing a brand new Honda. I have not had a conversation with Trina yet. There will be conversations, mind me. I mean, that, that'll, that'll happen. I've had a conversation with Trina, but I have just purchased a brand new car. I drive it back to work. 
And it's about seven o'clock at night, and work is wrapping up, and I got about an hour commute home. As I'm driving back home, I'm in my car, and I'm, I'm beginning to fashion a story of how I'm going to explain this to Trina. <laughs> Remember, impulsiveness shows up in overspending, which then the next layer ends up being deception. So I'm driving home, and I've, I've got a plan. I drive the car in the garage. I go in the house, I turn off the lights in the garage, and I tell Trina, I got a surprise for you. <laughs> I, I, I got something, and I bring her into the garage, and she's got her eyes closed, and I turn the light, light on. I think there's some elbows being thrown, and some of you have done this as well. Uh, I, the, the lights go on, and I go, there it is, there's a new car. And she's like, where's the old one? I traded it in for this new car. And she's like, well, Why? And I said, well, it's, it's a birthday gift. It's an, it, it was August. It was August. Her birthday's in November. It's an early birthday gift for you. My sister happened to be living with me at that time. She saw the, the depravity of her brother unfold right before her eyes. I think she just backed out of the room. Um, and, and Trini was very gracious. And, and here I was. This is... That's just a little illustration, kind of on a macro side, of, of the impulsiveness that is reflected in overspending that actually then tries to get covered up by, by deception. And this, this was not, this was a big one, but this was happening in small ways in my life as well. Um, and it brought conflict into our marriage. And by the way, my stuckness in this area not only impacted me, it impacted my family. It took over 10 years to get out from underneath that financial decision. 10 years uh, of, of, of being set free from that stress that that put in our, our marriage. Um, and interestingly enough, we, I, I used to be the fiscal liberal and Trina was a fiscal conservative. We completely flipped. We, we were in a prayer meeting this morning and my, my phone chirped. She bought something from Groupon. I was like, we're in a prayer meeting. And I found, actually it was from the previous night. Um, but we, 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 we flipped and we... we we still have our issues. We're still working through stuff. And, um, but here's the reason I'm even sharing the story. That's my junk. You've got your stories, right? You've got the place that you're stuck. And we, we need to name them. So here's what I want you to do. I want, I want you right now in your room, I want you to name the place that you're stuck. What's, that, what's the maze of your stuckness look like? What's that place that you've been making commitments and resolutions now for 20 years? 20 years ago you did it, 19 years ago you did it, 18 years, this is the year. And by the way, if you're having a hard time identifying the place that you're stuck and you're here with family and friends, just ask them, they'll tell you. They know. <laughs> they know very well the place that you're stuck. And just for a little, a little extra help, here's some areas I found that people are often finding that they are stuck. They're stuck in overeating. We talked about that. Stuck in overspending. Stuck in anger. Some people are stuck there. Some people are stuck in pornography. Some people are stuck in gambling, busyness. There's people stuck in perfectionism, greed, the accumulation of stuff or keeping up with the Joneses. Some people are stuck there. Some people are stuck in their insecurity. They're managing image. It's their self-talk. There's condemnation that's coming your way. Um, some are stuck in, in cheating, numbing themselves with social media or things like Netflix. Some people are stuck in self-reliance. Some people are stuck in people-pleasing or escapism. Some, some are stuck in loneliness. 
Some are stuck in that very dangerous land called denial. I'm not stuck. And that self-deception is that that's a, that's a dangerous place. But we must name the place that we are stuck. You, you got your place? Okay, nod your head if you got your place because we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna name our stuff, okay? Because here we go. Here's the first step. Step one is this. I admit I am powerless over, and we're gonna fill in the blank here, and my life has become unmanageable. This first step is really important because what we are saying, if you've been in recovery, you've worked the 12 steps, or you've been on the same lines for a while, you've, you've heard that this first step is often summarized by simply saying, I can't. I can't. I'm powerless. I've tried to manage it. I've made the resolutions. I've made the commitments. This one, I, I cannot get past, and I never will on my own. I'm powerless. And this sounds like a statement of failure, but actually what it is, it's a, it's, a, it's a powerful thing to state that you are powerless. In fact, Jesus, Jesus in his, one of his most famous sermons, in the Sermon on the Mount, he's, 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 he's preaching the good news of the gospel and he begins by saying this, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What he's saying is, blessed are those who realize that they are spiritually bankrupt. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Dallas Willard uh, summarized, he said, blessed are those who are spiritual losers. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What is Jesus getting at here? He's getting at people who entered the kingdom of heaven are people who know that they have a desperate need. So a statement of powerlessness or a statement of personal bankruptcy is actually not a statement of failure, it's a statement of power. What you are saying is, I cannot, I can't. And this is step one. So you get this awesome privilege of just declaring that you can't, and we're gonna do this all together. I'm gonna get us started, we're gonna read this, and then we're gonna get to that, that fill in the blank, and you're gonna state the place that you're stuck. And then we're gonna finish. We're all gonna do this together. We're gonna declare this boldly. And here, here's what's gonna happen. This is service number five. Let me tell you what happens. We do, I admit I'm power. We get going, we're, we're declaring it, and we get to the line, and we're like, and we, and we just mumble, right? And I, and I get that. At one point, I asked the, the folks up there to turn the mic off so you couldn't hear where I'm stuck. And some of you are already thinking, I'm not saying where I'm stuck. I'm gonna make up something different. Something different. Uh, but there's, there's power in going public with the places we're stuck. Because it's the beginning of finding their way out of the maze of our stuckness. Okay, you up for this? All right, here we go, I'll get it started. I admit I am powerless over impulsiveness, that my life has become unmanageable. Oh, you guys did pretty good, you wanna do that again? Okay, <laughs> this is funny. Every, I don't know what it is about this side over here. They always, in every service, they said yes. And then the last four services over here, no. That was like, it was too painful. No, it's powerful. When we go public and say, this one's got me. Why do I keep doing the things that I don't want to do? And don't do the things that I want to do. And what Paul, it, that's Romans 7, it's Roman, Roman 8. Romans 8, oh, it's a powerful chapter. It's about the Spirit of God empowering us. But we have to come to this place where we say, I can't, which leads us to step two. Step two is this, I believe can. I, I believe God can restore me to sanity. 
Insanity in, in this context is simply, it's doing the same thing and expecting different results. It's the 20-year journey of, of well, yeah, resolution. That, that'll work. It hasn't worked for 20 years. So it's over here, the, step one is I can't. Step two is God can. This is the birth of hope. This is the birth of faith. We're stating the areas that it could be people-pleasing. It could be anger. I was talking with some of the last service. It could be bitterness. You know, it could be something that was said to you. It could be some bitterness in the workplace. In this case, it was bitterness of a divorce. Whatever it is, I can't get past this. I can't manage this. This has power over me. And now I understand that God can. And we, we put those two together. It leads us to step three. And step three is I am making a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understand him. That last phrase, as I understand him, Bill W. and Dr. Bob put that in there because they understood that there were people who didn't know God, who didn't know Jesus, and people who did know uh, Jesus, and, and both were stuck. And they didn't want to keep people who didn't know God out of the 12-step groups. So they didn't, they didn't want to put a hurdle in front of people. And, um, and as I've mentioned, as people have entered into these 12-step groups, they found God. For us, as we understand him, this is Jesus. We're talking about Jesus. So this third step is I'm making a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understand him. Remember, this is all about peace with God. We're talking about getting peace with God. And this is about surrendering our will, our decision-making, our, our attitudes, our thoughts um, to God and, and yielding to him. If you've been paying attention to the technological news in these days, you know there's a new phenomenon that's not, not too far around the corner, and it has to do with driverless cars. I mean, you've probably seen the videos. Uh, you've probably seen pictures um, Uber's got driverless cars, Lyft's got driverless cars, Google's got driverless, I mean, there's driverless cars out there. There will come a day, um, there, there will come a day when uh, some of us in the room will sit in a car, there will be no steering wheel, and we will listen to music, or we'll read a book, or we'll have conversation with friends, and the car will take us from point A to point B, and we will not be in control of that car. For some, that's a frightening thought, but that's, that's, that is the reality. And actually, this, is, this technology's been around for a little while. I'm going to show you about a 30-second clip from a video that was done seven years ago. There's a guy who's, uh, who's working on the technology for driverless cars. He's got two reporters in his car, and they are, one of them's got a phone, and they're, and they're videotaping, and they're, this car is going, and what you're going to see, it, you're going to see you know, out the windshield, he's going to have a hard time kind of seeing this, the city, but this is, this is a maze. There's a bit of a track. There's cones. There's concrete berms, and this car is hauling. You're going to hear tires screeching. Um, this, this car's going so fast. You're going to see the driver, his hands like this. He's not touching the steering wheel. Um, the car's doing it all on its own. And you're going to hear the two people in the car um, laughing, and you're going to hear them laughing nervously. Because when you release that kind of control to a, a driverless car, it makes you nervous, and our nerves come out in different ways. Watch this clip. I, I think you'll pick it up.
you could see that steering wheel just, just turning and moving, and, um, and that, that made some of you nervous, uh, that, that video. And um, there's sections of that we had to cut out because they got, they got so nervous, they said things we, we just don't want to say in church. Um, and, but see, this is what being out of control often, this is what it often looks like, is we, we're great backseat drivers if we don't have the steering wheel in our hands, and we want to control our environments. We want to control our circumstances. And, and because that means comfort. It means we're, what it means is we're trying to manage something that for a very long time we've, been never, we've never been able to manage, and we can't. I can't. God can. I think I'll let him. And so we, we give to God, we give to him those areas of our stuckness and, um, and realize that he's the one who can lead us through this maze of, of stuckness. And we'll, we'll talk more about that in the weeks to come. But I, I'm going to show you Isaiah 41, uh, this passage, just as we put our trust in God. It says, for I am the Lord your God. This is, this is so comforting. I will hold your hand saying to you, fear not, I will help you. For some of you, for some of us, going public with that area where we're stuck is frightening. Here's the good news. There's a God who will take your hand. He'll help you. Like a dad would take his daughter or son's hand and just walk him through, give him that safety. That's your God. Psalm 34 says, the Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He rescues them from all their troubles. That's our God. And let's just bow our heads and close our eyes and just come to him having heard what we've heard. I think anytime we hear from God, we need to respond to him. And one way you could begin that conversation is just by saying, you know, God, what, what is it that you want me to hear from you about who you are? Something you want to reveal to me about who you are today. Maybe it's, he's a gracious God. He is faithful, trustworthy, dependable. Jesus, what are you saying um, to us today about ourselves? thoughts about us. Lord, even in the areas that we sense our stuckness, maybe you're saying to us that you're for us. He's saying to us, Lord. Salem Alliance Church is a community of Jesus followers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. You can view today's entire service online at livestream.com backslash Salem Alliance.